The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we move into a Monday. Gary, good morning. Good morning. Hello. How is everyone today? Welcome to another week of insanity. <laughs> it's about to get even crazier. I know. Oh, man. Um, uh, what, was the, what was the thing Congress is going to be? Congress is looking at something this week. I forgot what it is. I had it here in my stuff. Uh, they've got a list of things uh, they're going to be messing up. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, no, it was something good they're looking at. And I'm just... Hmm. I just was, it just popped into my head and then it was like, okay. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah, they're, they're uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, they're going to look at the banking situation. Yeah. And it was funny because one of the things they're looking into was, was the San Francisco Fed chair who is totally the, uh, a wokester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. like that. I came up with a new word. A wokester. And by the way, we can define woke, uh, as we did last week a few times. Uh, it was interesting because it was a week ago, uh, Friday, where Bill Maher was talking about the insanity of the Republicans and the Democrats. For yeah. example, the Republicans, yeah. you know, the insanity of the Republicans mm-hmm. saying that, you know, being woke could cause a bank failure. Yeah. And what Wall Street Journal, one of their lead editorials over the weekend was, was their mind not on the financial stability and about equity and climate change, which is the entire woke stuff? Because as we have said, uh, uh, you know, uh, being woke is telling lies to create new victims. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I think that so much has been learned about uh, the the bank failures and, and also what happened with uh, SBF. You know, I think the media creating this darling in SBF, you know, well, look, here's a guy who doesn't even take the time to comb his hair. <laughs> He's hip. He's too smart to comb his hair. He's too smart to get dressed in clothes. Look, he's actually gaming while on a call. He's playing video games. That's cool. 
Well, as uh, we have said and uh, was written in that uh, article, oh, I forgot uh, who had it. Was it Substack? Somebody had it in Substack hmm. uh, last week that we read that said basically the financial institutions, you know, the wokeness basically that we have today and and uh, and and everything else, mm-hmm. uh, because what Theranos did was not wokeness. That was lying. That was about imagery and bull soup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, look at cryptocurrency. Same yeah. thing. What are you actually selling? Mm-hmm. Right. And the, that, the, the point has been made by a lot of people that nobody's concerned about the financial fundamentals anymore. They're concerned with imagery and bull soup. Yes, and that's and that's that's what they sell. And anything that is actually legit that produces something, as we know, creates carbon, and we can't have that. So we need to stop manufacturing. I mean, right. it's completely and totally insane. No, it is, and it's you know this. I I really thought that they that they believed, and some still believe, that you can create corporations, even banks, on those types of non-fundamental items that you can build a a new banking culture which was the question i asked from the beginning is this about a banking culture is this about a non-banking culture really Mm -hmm. it's not the fundamentals of banking at play here it's quite the opposite and were they worried too much about things that are not part of the the basis of a bank the very simple things Look at who you hire and who they didn't hire. Look, they didn't, you know, they, this went on for too long with too many red flags, with too many people in view of those red flags that had a clear view of those red flags from start to finish. Yet, we're going to be the ones paying for it. You know, a lot of the medium, uh, or, you know, the, the smaller regional banks are up in arms yeah. right now. They're up right. in arms because they're like, we have the basic financial fundamentals. Right. We're actually in the real world and we're, and having we're doing to work. it. And, and, and we're having to work. And what you're doing now with wanting to regulate, you know, more, what we do is put us against even a greater disadvantage against the big banks. Yeah. But I, I guess the one thing that this shows is the whole thing about Democrats and liberals caring about the little guy. Mm-hmm. is thrown right out the window. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right out the window. Yeah, yeah. No, this, it's, it's agenda. This. It's agenda. The little guy yep. never mattered. It's about agenda. You know, under my, plan, under my plan of cap and trade, electricity rates will necessarily skyrocket. You know, these are things that we have heard over the years, over and over. It's all about agenda. It was never about you. It was never about the little guy. It was never about the average American, ever. Ever. Well, look at it. When you, when you look at it, you and I have been screaming. You know, you talk about financial fundamentals, what the Fed's been doing that we've been screaming about for over a decade. Manipulating the dollar mm-hmm. through super low interest rates mm-hmm. so the government could spend like crazy. Yeah. To no end. To, you know, to 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 no end. Or even Republicans, because remember, it was Trump when he was running the first time that said we should borrow trillions of dollars because the interest rates are so low to rebuild the entire infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Well, what what in that statement differentiates him from at that? Now, he changed his mind. But at that point, when he said that, what differentiated 
his philosophy as opposed to the liberal insanity that we have seen in the Fed, which, again, lowered interest rates, manipulated the, the, the currency in order to be able to make it where they could just, the government could spend and spend and spend and spend, and we're not really having to pay a lot of interest because we have no, we have no, we have no business in, in uh, the, you know, paying off the principal. And then the bull soup we've been hearing for the longest time. We even got calls as recently as nine months ago from people to listen to this show. You guys are over exaggerating the def- debt and deficit problem. It's good that we're in debt and deficit. It's like. No, I mean, that's that's the point that we got to. That's how you get a bank uh, uh, like you have in Silicon Valley. Uh, that's how you get uh, someone like uh, SBF, who was uh, touted as, you know, this uh, new uh, guru of uh, of Bitcoin and crypto. This is how you get to that. You just people start saying it and repeating it. So enough people jump on board saying, yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay that we have the debt. It's okay that we have that kind of deficit. Look, it's not a problem. And it's one thing that Obama said repeatedly. The debt isn't a problem. You know, remember when the the uh, the, the time where <laughs> I was bored swimming <laughs> in the middle of the summer and doing my mile swim that takes a long time and uh, instead of, you know, when I'm swimming through my nice, warm, tropical water in the summertime, thinking about beaches and women in bikinis, mm. I'm thinking of a way to explain the debt at that point in easier terms. And remember, that's when I came up with that that time. All right, let's take a look at the let's take eight zeros off it, cut off the eight zeros and put it in numbers that people could understand. And I, and it was roughly at that time that remember, that's when the. Think about how long ago that this is. Biden's uh, budget is was six point nine trillion. Mm. It was three trillion at the time that I brought that up. Yeah, because we had talked about basically you make thirty thousand dollars a year, but you're spending forty thousand uh, dollars a, a year. You have uh, at that point, I think, was like uh, two hundred thousand dollars in debt because that mm. was twenty million or twenty billion. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, twenty trillion. Yeah, twenty trillion. Yeah, <laughs> was. Was the 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 debt? You cut and, too many zeros. I know. Off. I know. <laughs> of the reality, <laughs> and 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 you and you have you have bills that you must pay of over uh, of over a million dollars while making thirty thousand a year. And I said that's a situation. Do you remember how many calls we got? Well, you can't compare the you can't take the eight zeros off and compare somebody in normal life to mm-hmm. the government hand, hand having that. Yeah, you can. Micro isn't the same as macro and blah, 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 blah. And look where we are now. No, you're right. It's not the same. If one person goes into default, that's one thing. If the United States of America goes into default, everybody's screwed. Well, now, I mean, we'll have the poll coming up here a little bit later on. Half of Americans believe that if things get worse, they'll lose everything. 55% of Americans are afraid of losing everything. That means going bankrupt. Yeah. Has it ever been that high since the Depression? I don't know if there were polls that could, could be done because nobody really, no, yeah, a lot of I people wonder. didn't have a phone back then. I wonder, yeah. But you really wonder if when I saw that number, I went, wow. I don't believe I've ever seen anything like that number in in my in in my history. And so that goes back to, you know, 
Uh, I don't the know Great Depression. I, <laughs> I was going to say when the you, 60s. In your first 10 years in talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, good evening, ladies and gents. Everything is swell. Well, not swell, but when kind it, of swell. When I, when I started at KDKA <laughs> back in the... Uh, Early nineteen, back in the early nineteen twenties, and WBAP was trying to hire you away. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we're, by the way, we're taking the two radio stations. Yeah, because uh, KDKA, our great affiliate mm-hmm. in the in the Pittsburgh, is on the uh, is on the east side of the Mississippi, but mm-hmm. they're a K. Mm-hmm. And WBAP mm-hmm. is on the west side of the Mississippi at their W. How can that be? Because yeah. they were there before the. 1936 uh, Federal Communications Act that uh, I got a question about that at Disney. I went to Disney World with my kids. Yeah. And they said, well, it's you're a cast member. How are you a cast member? I work for a a comp. I work for the radio division. Well, where you know, where's your where is your uh, do you have a company ID or anything? So I showed them my company ID. They thought you were lying. And they said, (laughs) well, how are you based in Dallas and it starts with a W? That's not possible. I says, I said, it is when you signed on in 1922 and never changed your call letters. Yeah. Well, I don't believe it's, I said, call the number, call corporate, whatever you have to do. But they were giving me, basically, you had to go and you had to set up your entire stay there. You had mm-hmm. to have a, uh, mm-hmm. a an employee pass. And if you didn't work at Disney World or the Disney Store, remember the Disney Store. Remember malls, mm-hmm. and the, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember malls. I remember going to the the theater at the end of the mall. I mean, the cement bunker at the end of the mall. Okay, yeah. that's a Jay Leno. That's a Jay Leno from the 1980s. Yeah, I actually had. So I actually had to. They. I had to wait for them to call. They had to actually call and verify my employment, which was fine. Wow. But he didn't. He didn't believe me because the. Radio station call letters began with a started with mm-hmm. a W, S- still do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we are we are in interesting times. We've got so much to talk about here today. So let's get to it next. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice. Winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Have your wheel alignment checked to set you up for a safer and smoother ride. Driving with incorrect wheel alignment can result in reduced performance, tread wear, and steering issues. While you're at it, make sure your tires are properly inflated based on the load you're hauling. Underinflated tires can impact your fuel economy and result in blowouts. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed. Brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. Bargain hunting is back. I mean, bargain hunting's always been around. We always love a great deal. But man, everywhere you look, people are bargain hunting. You know, there's so many great ways to find 
great deals. Hey, I have a great find in your bargain hunting journey. Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price that's a real bargain when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That is a bargain. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. Uh, this is one of the most uh, amazing things I saw over the weekend. Now, a lot of things that I saw, I expected. I mean, people may have viewed them as shocking, but I expect them, but we'll get to all that. This one I actually found shocking, and nobody actually mentioned it at all. Um, this was uh, Democratic Senator Mark Warner uh, on Face the Nation talking about Biden's classified document situation mm. and the fact that the administration is not cooperating with the Senate. Now, this is Democrat Senator yes. right. Mark Warner. Right. We need more information about these documents. And more importantly, we need to make sure that uh, what the intel community has done to mitigate the harm and... We're still in conversations with the Justice Department. The, the administration's position does not does not pass the smell test. Uh, we've got a job not to go into the legal ramifications, but to make sure that the intelligence community has done what's right. And <clears throat> we've got some additional tools. We can restrict some of the spending. Uh, we're in active conversations with the Justice Department, but we've got to get those documents. <laughs> It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's a direct yeah. shot from a Democratic senator uh, at Biden. Yep. And the administration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it makes you wonder because this is the problem with that Biden has with the, the whole documents thing. It isn't going to go away. Part of the reason that it's not going to go away is because of the fact that they still have a special prosecutor assigned to the Trump document thing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Mike Pence, basically, you know, that was kind of, it seems like it was over and done before it started. And, uh, you know, he walked in, uh, you know, Mike Pence walked in to turn himself in and they said, no, Mike, Mike, <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to, it's, nobody's even looking for you. It's just, no, you can go home. And <laughs> it but, will it will be an all male prison, right? <laughs> right. <exactly. laughs> so the the whole idea. <laughs> I'm not sure which way to take that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I'm, I'm, go, be, I'm going back. Bigger if, problem if, for Mike Pence. If, if anybody, no, no, no I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like Ted Nugent <laughs> <laughs> and say he's a homosexual weirdo like Nugent said about uh, Zelensky. Mm. I'm the reference is to the fact of Pence saying that he would not be alone mm. uh, in in uh, his office with a right with a right with a woman with a right, woman right right so right. as long as there are no women right. in the president then, then he's okay with it. right i, I want right. to make that clear yeah that was the <laughs> premise right. of the joke right. but the the entire thing is is very much still alive on the biden documents and there that's just one reason because of the special prosecutor signed still signed to the trump document thing but but also of course all the things that connect uh hunter uh, Biden and Joe Biden to to China and the questions that are still out there. You know, it's not the document thing is not going to go away. And I think doc, I think that I what I'm wondering is, is if Mark Warner is part of this turn that we talked about last week from Democrats. You know, do if the Democrats believe that we can't we can't have him run there's got to be pressure to you know to get him to not run uh and and then there's a a piece in national review the you know the political liability uh you know of, of the vice president on on Joe Biden and I told you during the break I said well that's on Joe Biden he he chose Kamala Harris mm-hmm. as his VP so if she's a political liability then that's on him uh but you know the, that's the question is is there a turn right now is there pressure building to get him to change his mind and not run but if you do that then you're going to have to deal with leapfrogging over kamala harris good luck with that Join the conversation. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. Red Eye Radio. And he is Eric Carley and I'm Gary McNamara. 866-90-RED-EYE. All right, we've got uh, some audio to uh, play here. The big question is, uh, what is D.A. Alvin Bragg going to do this week? Mm. Is he going to prosecute? Uh, They talked about it on Fox News Sunday. uh, Shannon Bream with uh, Britt Hume, Jonathan Turley. Uh, and, uh, uh, who else did he have on? Um, oh, I got mine blank here. <laughs> Trey Gowdy, Trey Gowdy, mm. uh, 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 on. And, uh, uh, she started out by playing a little bit of Trump talking about the Bragg prosecution, uh, at the, uh, at the, uh, the rally in Waco, Texas this past weekend. Here we go. And I want to start by playing a little bit more of what the president had to say last night about this potential prosecution. The innocence of people makes no difference whatsoever to these radical left maniacs. It is worse, actually, in my opinion, hard to believe anything could be worse than this, but I think it's worse than ballot stuffing or media manipulation by the FBI working together with Twitter, Facebook, and the rest. 
Professor, I'll start with you. He talked about this idea of prosecutorial discretion and this being a tool in the toolbox against him. So talk to us about that discretion that prosecutors have. Well, they have discretion, but they don't have discretion to create their own laws. And what is being done here is something that most of us consider really beyond the pale. That is, Bragg is taking a New York misdemeanor, which, by the way, is expired. It only has a two-year statute of limitations. And he's, he's essentially bootstrapping that into a felony. But he intends, according to reports, to prove a federal crime that the Department of Justice itself mm-hmm. declined to prosecute. Now, that effort, he's losing already the court of public opinion. A a, a poll came out showing roughly 60 percent of people viewed this as politically motivated. But he's playing to a jury pool in New York. And the likelihood of finding a Trump supporter in the New York jury pool is about the same as finding a triceratops. I mean, it's, it's not that likely. But he also has judges in New York who I think are going to look askance at this and say, wait, you're a state prosecutor and you're going to prove a federal crime? I I think he's got a a rough road ahead. But what he has done is handed Trump proof positive of his long narrative. This is a political prosecution. So, Britt, I want to bring you into that point because the New York Post editorial board wrote about this and they said they agree that this is a political prosecution. It says Trump has every right to be upset, but rather than seek his vindication in the courtroom or even just make an impassioned speech, Trump wants to inspire a mob time and time again. Trump's responses have been unhinged, indicative and self-defeating. So, um, Britt, it sounds here like the professor thinks like many people do. They view this case doesn't happen or it falls apart or there's an indictment without a conviction. Uh, is the president President stepping on a potential victory for himself with the reaction to it. I think so, Shannon. And, you know, it's been widely speculated that uh, this prosecution by Alvin Bragg on the theory that he's espousing here, or seems to be, uh, will help Trump politically. Uh, I have my doubts. Uh, it's got that, that issue has to be looked at in two ways. One is what effect might it have on his chances of getting the Republican nomination? And my guess is it won't have all that much effect. But When you turn to the question of whether he could be elected president again, you have to ask this question. Would would this prosecution motivate a single voter who did not vote for him in 2020 to vote for him in 2024? And I think the answer to that is pretty clear. I don't I don't see a single voter who who refused to vote for Trump Trump four years ago or nearly three years ago, uh, turning in his favor now after he's been indicted and might be indicted uh, for further uh, further investigations of, of the kind outlined by Brian Yannis. Yeah, and a lot of this is about perception. So Kimberly Strassel has a piece in the Wall Street Journal that says this, if Mr. Bragg acts, the precedent will be set. America will officially become a country like Bolivia or the Philippines where prosecutors of one political party arrest leaders of a rival political party. Um, Trey, I'll bring you in here. Is that overstating it? I mean, we know the feds looked at this case. They decided to drop it. But this district attorney thinks, at least by the reports we're getting, that it's worthwhile to pursue. Well, I think it's it's New York, but it's also Georgia. And yeah, I do think Kimberly is right. I I think our justice system is at a really, really dangerous point. I mean, anyone who doesn't think we can find a red state prosecutor or attorney general to go after a Democrat, the justice system, uh, she wears a blindfold for a reason, Shannon. She's not supposed to care about your political orthodoxy or your race or your gender. This is by far the weakest of the cases upon which President Trump is under investigation. By far, it's factually weak. It's legally weak. You got statute of limitations problems. You got witness credit. Oh, 
Uh, okay, we ability have problems. problems, and yet for political expediency, Alvin Bragg has finally found a crime he thinks is worth pursuing. Not resisting arrest, not shoplifting, not drug offenses, but he thinks paying hush money. He doesn't even think prostitution should be illegal, but paying for silence. So we are at a dangerous point. Last point. Uh, you know, the president runs the risk of doing what they said not to do in the Count of Monte Cristo. Do not commit the crime for which you now serve the sentence. He's in a good spot legally and factually in New York. Do not blow it by talking about death and destruction and holding a baseball bat. Hmm. Which, by the way, uh, they they removed from yeah. True Social. Right. Somebody removed it. His uh, Trump's lawyer said ill advised. Of course, it was when was that Saturday morning? I think it was Saturday morning when you woke, when I woke yeah, up. Yeah, I think I think it was. Because yeah. I, I just shook my head saying, yeah. wow, he just, Trump loves snatching uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got all the movement there. We brought you the polling last week. The American public almost by landslide numbers. And this is early on. This is last week. Uh, and I think it'll go the continue to go the same way, except for loyal Democrats. It will say no matter what, he's guilty. But you'll probably get close to 70% of Americans go, this is absolutely political, which is landslide numbers. And then he comes out and the attention's all on him for uh, uh, threatening violence. Right. And you just shake your head. As, as, as I said, his attorney came out and said, well, uh, it was ill-advised and uh, it must be somebody uh, from his social media group that posted it, not Trump, mm. but somebody else did. And then they took it down very quickly mm. uh, once they uh, realized the, uh, the the rhetoric and what was attached to it. That's what his attorney said. But just my you well, said the problem you- is, is that you can try and say that. And it may well be true that it wasn't Trump himself that posted it, but he gets the credit for it. Oh, of course. He gets the yeah. blame. Yeah. And there's no way around that. And there's a reason it was taken down. We'll see if, you know. If we learn if that was taken down voluntarily or if they they found it truth social that they shouldn't have that up there, I guess we'll see. But there's the, you know, that's the problem is that we've been saying for many years that you have to campaign like you're 20 points behind, like you're the underdog. That's something that Trump had going for him from the beginning. And I think to a certain extent, still does because of all the political prosecutions and everything that, you know, from the beginning, the whole Russian hoax thing. But you disarm all of that with one post. You can't do that. No. You can't do that and expect to get empathy from people, as they just said, that aren't you know, haven't voted for you before. This is what you have to do. You have to build on what you didn't get last time. You have to convert people who didn't vote for you before ever. That's what is required. That's what will be required. And that's the game. And you don't do it by saying things like, well, if you support this person, we don't want your vote. Or if you support that, we don't want your vote. And then the things of the, you know, the threatening violence uh, this past weekend. You don't do that. Look, all of the heavy lifting is done for you. From the Democrats, from the Russian hoax, 
all the way to, you know, what whatever Bragg is trying to pull off at this moment, the heavy lifting is done for you. And you're, you're talking about his comments on if you're going to work for DeSantis. That, yeah. Uh, that, you know, don't. Well, I, I don't think <laughs> I think the Trump's going to have problems uh, finding uh, qualified people to work for him. That, yeah, that are and, willing and, to work And for one him. of the reasons is, is the majority of people who work closely with Trump, not all, but the majority, they've cut ties. Mm-hmm. And and so who would he find now? I, you know, I don't know. Does he have a campaign advisor manager yet? He didn't. I, as of, I don't know. Uh, of, as of, don't as know. of a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I don't know. And what uh, three so far have turned him down. Mm-hmm. And this is this is Trump, not not uh, not uh, DeSantis. Look, here's the thing with, you know, you, you want to differentiate yourself. I think what he's hit so far is weak. But Trump is, and, and they, they did this when uh, DeSantis made his comments last week. You know, his son came out and just, buy, rhino, liberal, you know, everything else. Mm-hmm. Nobody buys that. Right. And it's almost as if Trump is trying, Trump can portray himself legitimately as a victim of Democrats. Oh, he yeah. can legitimately yeah. make that case. Right. Don't try to make the case that you're a victim of DeSantis. Right. It's not going to hold any water. Well, because nobody's going to buy that. And I did watch because it was it made especially news late uh, yesterday when I woke up. I saw three different articles. Um, Fox had it. New York Post had it. And uh, Drudge had it. I don't know who they were referring to, uh, reference to, but or what what news media they were referenced to uh in their story uh but it was about the fact that the the audience in Waco when you started going after DeSantis you know really wasn't that vocal now I'll say this I watched like the whole 3 4 minute uh, uh audio cut mm-hmm. he didn't really make he didn't make like a statement where then he paused and waited for applause but right. you didn't yeah. see a lot of reaction as he was going after DeSantis and present, pretending that DeSantis was crying to him that he mm-hmm. needed it, and he was, you know, imitating DeSantis crying. Mm-hmm. All you saw was, and you look at what I do is in those cases, you look at all the people in the back and you see what their reaction is. Mm-hmm. And except for one guy shaking his head a little bit up and down, mm-hmm. there was no reaction from anybody back there on it. It was like they're sitting there sort of stunned. I don't think that you can, you may be able to convince. You know Trump's loyalists that are part of his campaign to do that narrative. I don't think the majority of Republicans buy into that at all. Well, that's what I was about to say. You're you're preaching to you may be preaching to the choir on that, right? But you're not going to convert anybody on that, right? The, and you and he's going to have to re, he's going to have to convert people uh, in the middle in a big way, and you have to do that. It has to start from day one. That started officially november 15th working to get the independent on board with you well i'm i'm i think there's a difference between the uh the primary and then the general certainly as, but as he was but, saying and, and so i i believe trump can win the nomination mm-hmm. uh, i have great doubts that he can win the presidency be, uh, again you don't know how bad the the, the, the one wild card in there of yeah. course is uh how bad, incredibly bad, uh, Biden is, and Harris, who would follow him. Yeah, yeah. But I still think that are more people going to vote for Trump now? 
can inflation make them say we want to go back to the good old days? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and, and that's my point in, in that. Look, in the polls, he's the front runner and you act as if, you know, those are the things that you have to do. You're while you're campaigning like you're 20 points behind. That means you work hard. You're campaigning in the general election mentality already because you have to go for this is something that you're not going to get around. You have to go for the independent. You're going to have to be working on convincing independents to come your way from day one. And so far, I haven't seen that. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, uh, by the way, I saw New York uh, now is planning on banning gas stoves. Uh, we'll get yeah. to that. I did read an article over the weekend, or it was a, it was a, uh, a thread, and, and I'd have to do more investigating into it, but it seemed to make scientific sense that actually by doing this and making people use electricity, that so much of gas... Oh, excuse me, so much of electricity is provided by natural gas to begin with, mm-hmm. where it's way more inefficient to make electricity out of natural gas and then right. ship that electricity and because of resistance and everything else, mm-hmm. what you lose in the uh, the transference of that electricity right. makes it where it's much more efficient to actually have gas stoves. And that makes right. sense. Right. Actually makes sense. Yep. Yep. And so we'll get to uh, that. Plus, why Trump or DeSantis could win the general election. Mm. New poll out, all coming up. Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app, and listen when and where you want. And thank you. you know, looking at some of the Sunday morning uh, news shows, I want to play this uh, audio from uh, Dan Abrams on D.A. Elvin Bragg's uh possible prosecution of donald trump so you know when people say to me sometimes well if this had been me i would have been prosecuted for sure my response is if this had been you i don't know that seven years later they would have revisited this misdemeanor and tried to turn it into a felony so it is a challenging legal theory they may be able to do it but but there are problems here 
Now, when you when you look at that, um, uh, it, it's because I I think he had the great narrative because we always say that if you or I, for example, oh yeah, if if, yeah. if you or I did what Hillary did, remember because that oh, was yeah. one of the biggest ones. Right. If you or I did what Hillary did and put a server in our home that had top secrets going in, we would be in jail. Yeah, you know, and so we talk about that all the time. How politicians were able to get away with it. I thought Dan Abrams had a unique perspective. Mm. By using that narrative that people use all the time, I would go to jail for that. He said, well, okay, would the would any prosecutor go after a normal person and try to do what they're, what they're doing to Trump? And it's like, no, they wouldn't. Right. Well, they wouldn't waste their time on a case. No, they wouldn't. No. And it makes you wonder again why Bragg is wasting his time on this case. Or, or if he still is, actually, yeah, over the last few not, days, yeah. everybody's wondering if it's still in play. But, you know, that's it. It, it. You think to yourself, well, wait a minute. What's, it, while I I clearly see the motivation behind, you know, what he sees as the prize, Bragg sees Trump as the prize. Imagine being the first guy to actually get Trump. Aha! After years and years and years and years of liberals promising that they are going to get Trump. I get that. But what's worse than that? And it's something I think he doesn't see. Losing to Trump. Well, I, you know, one of the criticisms we've had about uh, Trump is the fact that uh, how is he going to win independence? If he runs in 2024 in the general election, Mm -hmm. your goal always has to be. But I'll say this for the Democrats. How are they going to win independence? Bragg, for example, on this prosecution, Mm -hmm. you go forth with the prosecution. If you believe that, you know, you don't do it to just to solidify your base. You do it because you believe it can expand your power base. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in this case. And this is early on. Sixty percent of Americans already believe that it is a. Uh, it's it's a political, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's political behavior uh, mm. by Bragg. This is a political prosecution. It's not about the actual substance. And that's early on in this. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, probably get to 70%. You're, you're never going to convince the loyal Democrat. You're going to, you know, and that's roughly 30%, 32, 33%. But you're getting to the point where everybody but Democrats, and that means you lose independence completely, are saying this is a political prosecution. And so, remember, he did, because of politics, back off on not wanting to prosecute people that commit an armed robbery with a gun Mm -hmm. as only a misdemeanor if they don't shoot it. That was so radical, he had to back off. Well, this is approaching those same numbers, I'm sure, poll-wise. Yeah. You know, there is no benefit for right. him. Right. If this is what he's trying to do, there's no benefit for him to go forward with this. No. No. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he did drop it just because he can't win it politically. And if you can't win it politically, what is your goal? Well, and, you know, there there will be a couple of tells if if uh, if he pulls a James Comey, no reasonable prosecutor, <laughs> you know, then actually makes a statement. 
you know, comes out to the podium and makes a statement on it, then that will be very different than this thing just going away and no one saying anything. Because if it goes away and Bragg never really speaks of it and it's just over, they just close the book on it. I don't know how you get around that. I don't know how you get around the media's questions on it. But if he doesn't come out and make the statement, that's going to be telling. That will tell you how defeated he feels in this. And I I do wonder if he's being told by people that other Democrats, there aren't, you know, Dan Abrams that you just heard from. He's not a conservative. No, no, not anyway. And so you, you look at those, every bit of pushback that's coming his way, there's not one Democrat defending Bragg and this case. That isn't on The View. Yeah, right, yes. And I don't even know if they've done that in recent days. There's not one. They don't do it because they know it's weak. And they're asking themselves the same thing that a lot of people are. What are you doing? If we're going to get Trump, we need to get him on something that'll stick. That's... That's the thought process behind anything politically motivated that has now been weaponized within any level of any department uh, of justice or any local agency that wants to go after him. The mindset is we need to get him and they haven't been able to do it yet. And this isn't going to work. This isn't going to happen. It, it, yeah, the the only thing is, is here is what about what about the grand jury? What will the grand jury do outside of Bragg? Right? Are they to the point where they want to vote because they believe that it should go that it should go forward, or is the clue the fact that the grand jury uh, wished to hear from was it Mr. Costello last week, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and they wanted to hear uh, you know somebody who disagreed with the or they wanted to hear. From somebody who said what their primary witness is saying is is false, and then with the letter that the New York Post got, that I'm sure the grand jury had to see. I mean, they they don't they can pay attention to the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is no, I mean, there is no blackout right uh, in in a grand jury, so they knew, you know, they knew. Hey, this letter's out where uh, the lawyers uh, for uh, uh, you know for Cohen said that well, no, he. Uh, Trump didn't know anything about this. Yeah. Well, that's just, it destroys your case. And even if they hate Trump, do they want to not be looked at as complete fools or tools of a prosecutor who hasn't been honest with them? Not only that, but also isn't doing his job to bring down the violent crime in that area. Those are the things that you have to remember. Members of a grand jury, they live there. Yeah. These are citizens that live there. And 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 then beyond that, even, you know, with the, the it's it's 23 on the grand jury total, but beyond that, the constituents there are probably scratching their head going, what are you doing? You're going to waste your time on this and and violent crime is on the rise. But if they can't get 12, right. I do want to hear from the grand jurors. Yeah. Yeah. No, now, I'm, now, I'm curious all they're, day. Yeah. They're, they're not supposed to say anything mm-hmm. about the actual deliberations. Right. 
But as we know, in Georgia, that isn't always the case. <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently you can go crazy. Oh, my gosh. That was just talking a... about it. Um, but uh, that's but that is, um, you know, and, and I guess we'll see. We'll likely learn one way or the other this week. Yeah, because there's not much else to do. Uh, we were told there may be one more witness. Right. And I don't, after last week, who knows if they even want to hear from the witness. Who knows if the witness at that point is looking at it from, you know, with with uh, a, a different mindset after last week. I don't know. Everything, all the legs on this thing just came out from under the entire case last week. And there's no way to undo that. Bob Costello and then the letter in the in the New York Post, that's it. That's those two things last week really took a weak case, a very weak case built on toothpicks and crumbled it. And I just don't see, you know, they they absolutely can go forward. They're not going to win it. Bragg's not going to win this case. Yeah, I mean, he, the grand jury may indict. You may, you may get, you. I don't know, a judge. And, you know, uh, who brought that up? Was it, yeah, Turley brought it up. Mm. You, know, you still got the judges looking and go, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you've, got, you've got nothing here. And can you imagine if it never made it to a jury? Because a judge said, this is ridiculous. Yeah, well, I mean, and, because it is. Yeah, and and that'll be the first move by the defense team is to uh, is file a motion to dismiss, and and you could well have a judge look at it saying, "I don't even know if I need the motion from the defense. This is so weak. You're not going to waste the people's time here. Come back with something that actually." can stick if you believe you've got a case against Mr. Trump or anybody else. Bring cases well that are meaningful. You know, not only that, but, you know, we brought it up that the Justice Department would not file charges on, on the... Uh, on the FEC thing. On on the FEC thing, and the mm-hmm. F, because the FEC said there was no campaign violation. Right. So you've got basically two federal agencies saying there was no campaign violation... And here's Bragg trying to tie what the feds have said mm-hmm. is not a violation or breaking the law as a reason to take a misdemeanor where the statute of limitations has run out and yeah. try to tie that into something that the feds wouldn't prosecute to get to a felony. Now, I mean, this, it's just mind-boggling. Well, well, what this reeks of is, a, a you know, Bragg in his office late one night I don't know if they still have, like, television scotch in their desk or not, but he's in his office late one night, and then he's going, Aha! I found a crime. I found a crime that would fit here. Look! And then went down a rabbit hole with somebody in his office. Yeah! 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 You could pursue that! That's what it reeks of. I saw that. Going down a rabbit hole. I I saw that Andrew Cuomo said, There's no case here. (laughs) 
that's that's when you know <laughs> so, you got no case. So, uh, well, I don't Ooh, know. Maybe it's Avenatti. the opposite. Maybe Bragg does have a case. <laughs> <laughs> Aven- yeah, that's true. When Avenatti says you have no case, <laughs> you know the, these are, you know the these are uh, the 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 tells of of this entire case is no one on the left is promoting. You don't have one legal expert. And this is what you would look for. The legal experts coming out going, okay, this is the law that they broke, that that he, that uh, Bragg says he broke, and this is why this case is solid. You don't see that anywhere. You don't. 86690-RED-EYE. Surviving and thriving as an owner-operator has just as much to do with managing costs as it does with generating revenue. Like the chief financial officer of any company, you have to be concerned about rising costs, especially without increases in revenue. Trying to reduce costs, let alone make sense of them, can be a complicated task. Understanding basic principles of operating costs can save you thousands of dollars a year. A penny saved could be $1,000 earned. Saving just one penny per mile over 100,000 miles driven annually will deliver $1,000 to the bottom line at the end of the year. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED-EYE. So here's why any Republican has the great possibility of winning in 2024. Hmm. Amid high inflation, many Americans fear the country will slip into a recession this year. About 75% say they worry one is on the way, according to a survey uh, by Real uh, Real Estate, which, and 69% of Americans believe The country is right now in a recession. More than half, 55%, say they would lose everything in a recession. Hmm. Typically, economists define a recession of at least two consecutive quarters of decline in gross domestic product, unless it happens during the Biden administration, and then they make up an excuse that it's not a recession. That there's never a recession. Um, even though the G- uh, GDP increased uh, in the fourth quarter by 2.9%, it did not change many people's outlook of the economy. In fact, 63% uh, are pessimistic about how the economy will perform in 2023. Hmm. The interesting thing that I look at is that half say they would lose everything in a recession. I don't know if numbers, and again, this is just one poll, and how you ask the question, but those numbers are mind-boggling. 
you know, even, you know, we we figured that inflation uh, would affect the midterm more than it did. Yeah, right. But now you have people saying that if we go into a recession, I mean, because at that point, remember, people still had money and there were many uh, economists that said, the money is going to be running out in the next couple of months and people are really going to be suffering next year. Is that what's happening? Because if those numbers are anywhere close to the truth, if 55% of Americans actually believe they could lose everything in the next year or two, mm-hmm. inflation's not going anywhere. No. No, you because know? and 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 that's the problem that you have. The combined uh, recession with inflation, and the inflation is going to be far above the target of two percent mm-hmm. for quite some time. Then that means that you are either unemployed or underemployed. The threat is you're going to be underemployed or unemployed, and you're having to buy things that are enormously expensive because prices are still going up. And they say, you know, credit card debt's exploding. Yeah. And that's killing sure. people with the interest rate there. No, I, I think that's, I, no. I, I, that was inevitably, that was going to be the next thing. Unsecured debt's on the rise because you either, there's one of two ways to handle it. If you can handle it. But the, the first of which is to go out and work more. And if that's not possible, then you take on credit card debt. And so if people are actually believing they will be wiped out completely. And the fact is, you know, these people are probably working now in fear that they could lose their job. Mm -hmm. And they're having trouble making ends meet with a job and maybe a job and a half. Yeah. As we stated, that's why inflation is always worse for the most part than a recession. If you just have a normal recession. Because if you have 10% unemployment, that means 90% of people are still working. And during a normal recession, because of supply and demand, you probably have a moderation in prices, not what you've seen here, which is stagflation, which you have, you know, you have both. Mm-hmm. A stagnant economy, people being laid off, and the prices still going up. Right. And if you look at food and you look at shelter and you look at energy, those things are just killing people right now. Yeah. And it's going it's getting worse by the month. threat to democracy if you don't download our app, Red Eye Radio. And uh, the Chinese uh, are not spying through our app. Just want to make it clear. No, they're not. We'll get to the whole TikTok thing in just a little bit. You heard what the Commerce Secretary said earlier this month. The politician to me thinks the ban will mean losing every voter under 35 forever. Hmm. And if you Look at the use of TikTok just last week. President Biden showed up 
in celebrity videos on TikTok, 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 <laughs> TikTok from the uh, White House. Here's John Kirby on that on Face the Nation yesterday mm-hmm. as to say, well, wait a minute, uh, isn't this hypocritical? We showed a video in that last segment of the president on TikTok from a video shot by a celebrity inside the White House. So for the 150 million Americans who still use this app, how do you say to them, sorry, we're going to take it away? It's not on it government. It's hypocritical. It's, it's hypocritical. Not, it's not on government devices. We do have legitimate <laughs> national security concerns. We have le- legitimate national concer- security concerns over, over TikTok. It's a useful political platform. I just would tell you that, again, yeah. that our, our concerns on the national security front are valid. There you go. And and by the way, uh, AOC says she uh, is not in support of banning TikTok because she has a feeling it isn't good. Uh-huh. So and this is a case across party lines where they look at it and they say, this gives China access that we don't want them to have. Well, if if they believe that a TikTok is banned, you know, and they do a policy, no TikTok on government devices. Well, why is that? Because you believe there is access. You believe they can gain access information from the device. Well, how does that not apply to everyone then? It does. Of course it does. And to believe it doesn't, you know, it's interesting to see this play out. Well, oh, my gosh, we'll lose all of our young voters if we ban TikTok. That's fine. Just give it to the Chinese. Why don't you just set them up a, a, an office at the State Department? Send them your banking information because, directly. Because we need to <laughs> coddle the young minds who need a rapid-fire series of 30-second videos in their life that mean nothing. Heaven forbid children start crying. (laughs) Of course the Chinese should get every... What are our options? Well, the the kids will get upset. Yeah, but it's, it's a... It's a threat. We know it's a threat. Everybody knows it's a threat. Yeah, but the kids will start crying. <laughs> you know what happens when they start crying. We don't want the kids to cry. Well, I've, I've got the populist version of it. Inflation is making it so they can't go out. They can't go do anything. They can't spend time with their friends. So all they have left is TikTok. Yeah. It's my entire life. What do I do if I can't? <laughs> you probably don't want to say that out loud again. That's not a good idea. But it's all it's everything to me. It's all I have. Well, that's why AOC <laughs> is saying it just doesn't feel good. Yeah. Right. That's her art. It doesn't feel good to do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then of course the Chinese are going to promote the fact that see censorship. They want censorship on both sides. And is right. it censorship? There, there is not a censorship issue being brought up here at all. It's strictly uh, national security. Now, the question is, is it true or is it not true? Mm-hmm. Which is then 
the government has to explain this to you from a government and an administration that is pathologically lies about everything. Right. Well, they don't allow it on government devices. So if you're saying that they you don't allow it on government devices for the obvious reason, but how does, does that not apply to anybody's device? Yeah, of course it does. Tell tell me what uh, qualities of the of the design, what features of the app are dangerous specifically. Well, then you that's the problem is that they can't explain that away. Well, no, that's, we, we don't have it. It's fine because we don't have it on government. So you know it's a threat then. Of course it's a threat. But the children might get upset. They might start crying. Yeah, it's for the keep TikTok. It's, it's for the children. If you, if you want to ban TikTok, you hate children. And puppies. And kittens. Why not if... if you are against children being able to mutilate their body mm-hmm. and you say that publicly the left is saying that's hate speech yeah right yeah by the way we'll get to that here in a little bit looks like you have more people fighting back each and every day against the liberal transgender activist movement and that is good mm-hmm. we'll get to that but the whole tiktok thing uh, so it is official. The FDIC has yes said the sale has gone through. All right. So uh, for those that weren't following over the weekend, uh, there was uh, information coming out from First Citizens Bank, uh, their, their parent company, First Citizens Bank Shares, uh, has agreed to buy Silicon Valley Bank. And this uh, came from an official statement late Sunday from the FDIC. Uh, The North Carolina-based First Citizens Bank and Trust Company entered into a purchase and assumption agreement for all deposits and loans of Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, This according to that statement. And uh, this is uh, breaking over the last hour, over the last few minutes, actually, as it became official. Uh, The AP has it, uh, Business Insider has it. The deal includes... The purchase of about $72 billion of Silicon Valley Bridge Bank assets at a discounted price of $16.5 billion. Oh. Well, first of all, is it actually $72 billion in assets? <laughs> um, so you can't trust the numbers. Uh, but uh, that's according to the uh, FDIC. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank was shut by regulators on March 10th after a run on the bank. Um, Now, they had, according to Insider, uh, Business Insider, Silicon Valley Bridge Bank had approximately $167 billion in total assets and about $119 billion in total deposits as of March 10th. And they got that information from the FDIC. About $90 billion in securities and assets will remain with the FDIC for sale. So this isn't the entire, this isn't 100%, it's most of the assets. 
Uh, so about 72. So is it the good assets? Good question. The FDIC, probably. The grade A and assets? You, they, yeah, yeah, you they let get the FDIC keep, take the crap. Which means is yeah, the taxpayer the takes the crap. Exactly. The FDIC also received equity appreciation rights and for citizens common stock per the statement. Oh, I want to know more about yeah, that. Yeah, I can't wait to see the analysis mm-hmm. on this. Uh, the estimated cost of the failure of Silicon Valley Bank to the FDIC's um, fund, the uh, deposit insurance fund, is approximately $20 billion. Uh, I bet it's more. The exact cost will be determined uh-huh, <laughs> when the receivership is terminated. Of course it will, because $20 billion isn't the exact cost, and you know it. Uh, and and I'm not that's not on on Business Insider. That's on right. That's on right. the FDIC. That's, that's it. Should be should have been written this the initial loss. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, so <laughs> first citizens tweeted that the acquisition quote helps strengthen the U.S. banking system and economy. It was always the the best option was always from the beginning. Another bank. Buying the assets, but it is troubling that so much, so many of the assets are going, are remaining with the FDIC. Uh, securities, securities, and assets, and and so that gets back to, all right, what securities, and what is the is there still this this play where the the federal government essentially is going to make them whole on on said securities. I would like to know that because you can't do that without using taxpayer money. Well, because on the assets that they still expect to lose on. Right. Or is that what the FDIC took? Did the FDI take the Treasury Securities, Treasury bills or whatever that were being paying 0.01% or whatever for the next 10 years? And are they going to take the loss on it? I'm guessing First Citizens didn't belly up to the table going, oh, we want those. (laughs) <laughs> Wait a minute. I have no no, I've got it. Uh-huh. If the FDIC prints money, then nobody loses. Exactly. Prints money to cover the we'll just, losses there. Yeah. The if the Fed does that, right. then then we'll be then we'll be okay because you know, that's the money, the magic money tree that that uh never has to be paid back. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm I'm making this up as I go along. Just I hope everybody realizes that. <laughs> well, well, what's interesting here is, um, you know, the FD, it's this part from the actual statement from the FDIC, not, the, not from the media's version of it, but from the actual statement from the FDIC, approximately $90 billion in securities and other assets will remain in the receivership for, depo- uh, for disposition by the FDIC. In addition, the FDIC received equity appreciation rights in First Citizen Bank shares incorporated common stock with a potential value of up to $500 million. That sounds kind of light. I don't yeah. know. Man, I, I would love to see the, the actual ledger on this and how it breaks down. Because there's no way that First Citizen, again, came to the table saying, oh, give us the high-risk stuff. Give us the stuff we know we're going to get pummeled on, you know, tomorrow. That's, you know, that's what we want first. Yeah, we, we well, in their statement, 
we are strengthening as if that was their goal. Uh-huh. We are strengthening as if they're sacrificing to do this. I doubt that's the case. No, they're getting, again, $72 billion in assets for a discount price of $16.5 billion. That's a bargain. So we'll see where that, you know, we'll see where it goes. I'm looking for any quick analysis from any of the financial publications, but nothing. Yeah, because, you know, you really do have to get into the ledger on this. And and, and I, w- I would love to know about that $90 billion in assets that remains with the FDIC. You know, what are those? Securities and other assets. Well, okay. What are those clearly? First Citizen did not have any interest in those. Oh, I don't know. Uh, ESGs? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> ESG funding. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> the 17 former branches of Silicon Valley Bank will open as First Citizens Bank and Trust Company today, Monday. Got some sign makers out there working. I'm going to say, night. call John Taffer. He gets them done like in <laughs> right, 24 hours. Exactly. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Sarah Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. We'll update you if there's any more news on the sale of the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, uh, nothing that I can see as of yet, and probably there won't be till tomorrow till people can analyze. You know, the <laughs> economists we trust can analyze what's going on. I know the Wall Street Journal did uh, pound on the San Francisco Fed mm-hmm. in an uh, editorial over the weekend. We'll get yeah. to that. Uh, coming up here in uh, in just uh, a little bit. Plus, uh, the uh, the fight against the liberal transgender activist movement mm. uh, continues. And uh, John Kerry saying, we need to work with the Chinese. We need to forget about these other things and work with the Chinese on climate change. Yeah. God, yeah. Such, I mean, such idiots. I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah. just, I mean, my God. Uh, it's it, it really is um, zero self-awareness. I mean, none. You know, and I think, too, <laughs> in the age of TikTok, <laughs> and maybe partly because of TikTok, you have people that are so self-aware, and then they seem to be getting less self-aware. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. 
Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. I'm Gary McNamara. He's Eric Harley. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. Listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Well, I'm telling you, when I woke up the other morning and saw some of the uh, the uh, the video, that drone video from Mississippi. Oh, my gosh. The tornado. I mean, I was unbelievable when... when I saw that I just went when when I saw the damage that was done and you could see, you know, it was an EF four apparently. That's yeah. uh and you could see where it was down to the foundation. Yeah. In some places. And I went, anybody in the path of that, if they were hit head on, probably did not live and you had what I think over two dozen deaths now. Yeah. And it's just I mean, just horrible. I couldn't believe, you know, and I've seen some pretty bad destruction this matches anything that i've ever seen before it was really bad um you know when the the mayor of rolling fork was doing some interviews kind of making a statement reaching out through the media also trying to tell uh the citizens where they could you know get help and and all of that and also tell everybody else what they you know what they need uh, the type of assistance that they need. They they pretty much need everything, but Rolling Fork, uh, by the mayor's description, uh, you know, a huge chunk of that very small town is just gone. And then you look at the footage from that. Watching the live coverage, there was some live coverage of that with Storm Chasers on as it was happening. And as they were reading from the uh, the radar, they were looking at the radar. And then after it had gone through that area, immediately people were describing the damage. And it was very clear that it was catastrophic. Just catastrophic. And, you know, I, I think of uh, the town of Gerald, Texas, Gerald oh. tornado going back years. I was traveling. My, my wife and I took our kids to San Antonio for a weekend. And we were, uh, the six flags park there has a water park on one side and rides on the other. And we were in the water park, you know, pretty much all day. And then later in the afternoon, I could see the storm clouds on the horizon. And so I just, said to the kids, hey, let's go back to the hotel. We'll get some pizza, watch a movie. We got back there. Uh, we ate dinner, and it was probably a little after bedtime that in San Antonio when that storm hit, every car in the parking lot was shaking from the wind, and, and you know, there was sideways rain and everything. Uh, no tornado warnings immediately there, but then the next morning we drove – we were driving uh, back to Dallas and the, the news from Gerald that the town was just gone, that the tornado was just, just devastated everything, just took it all. And it happens so quickly. You know, you... Uh, that was 26 years ago. Yeah, crazy, huh? Yeah, I mean, that that is the one where you know, where you didn't see, especially that one subdivision. Yeah. 
where there was nothing left. I mean, you did see some, I mean, there were still uh, a lot of trees and everything else around. You didn't see anything in the path of that tornado. Right. I mean, it was just foundations. I, that I, one uh, subdivision right, yeah. is still, I've never seen damage that bad as I saw in Gerald, Texas. I never witnessed that in a, or witnessed, you know, on, on video mm-hmm. uh, that from a tornado. But this was close. Yeah, I have one time uh, back in 1979, April 10th, 1979, oh, the, uh, Wichita Falls. Wichita Falls one, yep. Uh, it's, uh, it was uh, the equivalent of an EF5, a mile wide at, at its base. And it went down uh, along uh, a street called Southwest Parkway, which which runs an entire side of, of town. And it just took homes, brick homes, off of the their 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 foundation. It just it just gone in a matter of seconds, um, and. Still today, gosh, 40, uh, here coming up in a couple of weeks, it'll be 44 years later, you still see signs, remnants, and where maybe one house has a much larger lot, and it's because they bought the empty lot of, of the neighbor who didn't rebuild. And you'll see things that um, uh, my uh, my late stepfather-in-law, uh, my wife's stepfather who passed away recently, talked about he rebuilt his home after that tornado. He did most of the work except for the electrical and plumbing, even the roofing he did with a buddy. And he did it while working his full-time job. And, you know, it's what happens in communities all over. I mean, everything is, is, is just gone. You come out and, and you know, you, you look around and, and it's just gone. Um, some friends of ours, uh, we were talking about it the other day. The December tornado going back a few years in our area. Oh, yeah. Uh, east yep. of Dallas. And, that was- and they came out and theirs was the only house on their block that wasn't touched. And the rest were just, you know, obliterated by the tornado. And I have friends from Joplin. They describe it. A friend of mine uh, who have been friends with for years, came home from his daughter's graduation um, the night of the the evening of the Joplin tornado. And they, they get into the house and then the sirens go off. They get into the shelter. And then he said when he looked outside afterward, it wasn't just the damage, but all of the vegetation was stripped off the trees. Yeah. Yep. And... You know, uh, the folks in in Mississippi and in the South that that are now having to, you know, uh, deal with rebuilding. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what what the first stage is. We we had a small house fire one time and we were displaced for for months. It was seven or eight months and it wasn't 
a complete loss on the house. And we stayed with relatives, but when your home is just obliterated, it's just gone. I I, I don't know that kind of devastation. I I pray for people in that situation. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at that the water tower that was taken down. Yeah, I, you yeah. saw that. You just yeah. went, is that a water tower? You know, the first time yeah. you see it. Yeah. Uh, but the when you see the damage of where you know the exact path of where it went down in the middle of it, and you realize. Yeah. Anybody that got hit with that, didn't matter whether you're in your house or not, doesn't matter, you're gone. You know, one of the uh, things... It was, that, it's just so horrifying. One of the things about uh, those tornadoes that, that often happen in the dark, that often happen at night, is that you can't get a line of sight on them. You you know, uh, the spotters who, who do this and help the National Weather Service and, and help local news agencies... Uh, and 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 are quite often just that the first to spot these tornadoes on the ground have trouble seeing them not just as it it, it wasn't just that it was dark but uh they're rain wrapped they become rain wrapped so they you can't see the definition even with the lightning uh going on that would normally kind of help you spot it it becomes nearly impossible to see except for the radar thank god for the technology that allows somewhat of a warning but it happens so quickly and it was so heartbreaking when that one meteorologist who started praying on the you know praying yeah. on the air yeah yeah he knew just how bad it was going to be i mean that was just some of the radio covers the very first radio station i worked for uh was the only radio station left on the air in wichita falls on april 10th 1979 the guy that hired me into radio was in the news uh, uh, car. So so the, the station had a news vehicle, and he was out. And listening to that, you can actually hear it on – It's someone has posted it on YouTube. But, but hearing him uh, describe the devastation is, is just heart-wrenching. And – some of the on-air broadcasts during that of of people on the radio telling, and some of them were friends of mine, telling people to get seek shelter. I, I later ended up working with a number of those individuals that were on the air that day. And, you know, you, you, you're just, and, and I can't imagine too, there was, there's been a couple of, instances where you've seen a meteorologist on the air and they mention you know this is where my family lives this is the neighborhood my yeah house is in or my parents house is in you know and and they're doing that very yeah. important job of giving people information and giving them as much of a fair warning as you can get and then the survivors of it you you have to look at it and when you see your whole entire subdivision neighborhood town completely destroyed that has to be surreal. I mean, the 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 uh, the shock mm -hmm. almost has to be like PTSD in a way, because yeah. it's just so unbelievable. You just you can't believe that everything is gone. Well, it's it it was described to me countless times as just that. It is a, it's a shock that you you can't compartmentalize what has happened. Yep. Yeah. You can't say, well, if we only had, 
well, if we had just done, well, if this were, you nope. can't, there's no way to try and, you know, and that's what you do emotionally. You try and compartmentalize it. Um, and, and then you have to add to it with more than two dozen families here from this weekend storms that are now making funeral plans. You know, we, we look at, uh, we had uh, talked about last week about the uh, Fort Worth, downtown Fort Worth tornado in the yeah. Bank One building. Yeah. And, you know, there's, I think, oh, I think it's the Weather Channel. They've done a thing on what if, you know, an F5 hit downtown Dallas. Right. Yeah. Right. And I've always wondered that. And I can't remember how they, I'll have to go back and look at it now. Uh, but I think I, that was not long after. The Fort Worth tornado. Was it? I think they, I think, they did yeah, something like that. If I what recall if, correctly, it what, was kind yeah. of in, inspired by that. Because you have to ask yourself, what happens to a high rise that gets hit by not an F one or an F two, but yeah. an F five? Yeah. Which can do, happen, right? Yeah. Do those buildings come down completely? Yeah. I, can anybody yeah. withstand three hundred? Can any building withstand three hundred mile an hour winds? And I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they built. I'll, I'll have to go back and watch that one. Yeah, uh, I think the I think it was I think it was the Weather Channel that did it one time. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know, of course, the the glass and everything else. Oh that yeah. These, yeah, you know, these buildings are made of. Yeah, it becomes extremely dangerous. You know, one of the things that um, uh, you look at, I remember the the. Um, Mayfest storm in 95, spring of 95, we have this huge thing called Mayfest here in, in North mm-hmm. Texas. And the storm that came through and the hail, they had baseball-sized hail coming down. And people are at this Mayfest. Oh. They're outside. And I don't recall there being a tornado associated with it, but it was just, it was all-out wrath of Mother Nature. I was on the highway. At that time, I was working here in this area, but commuting two hours away on Friday, and it happened on a Friday, and I remember being on the road, and this guy on a motorcycle passed me, and it's raining cats and dogs, and this guy found a a school. It was after, you know, school hours, and he found a school to, to pull into, and and got into a, you know, under underneath a, a structure, and that's the best that he could do. And I was thinking to myself, because I'm listening to the coverage on our flagship, WBAP, and it was just pure devastation from, from hail. And we were seeing a lot of that over the weekend from these storms mm-hmm. in the south, you know. And it's it's that time of year, but always best to have your alerts on especially when you go to bed at night, make sure your weather alerts, make sure you've got them set up and that they're set to go off when you're asleep. Keep them in your prayers in Mississippi. Just horrible. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio.
It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Uh, some other topics out there. Native American uh, Native American Watchdog Group, the Tribal Alliance Against Frauds, recently demanded an apology from a Hollywood producer, Heather uh, Ray, over lying about her background. Mm. The 56-year-old Ray, who serves on the Academy of Motion Pictures, Indigenous Alliance. As previously stated, she came from an Indian mother and a cowboy father. Those are in quotes. While several news outlets reported her as having a, quote, Cherokee parent. However, the New York Post reported about recent claims by Native American activists that insist that Ray, at best, is (laughs) one over 248th Mm. One over 2,048 mm. Cherokee. Mm. According to the research, Ray has no ancestors recognized by the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, the Eastern Band of uh, Cherokee, uh, and the United Band of Cherokee Indians. In addition, a divorce certificate from 1969 listed both Ray's parents as white. Hmm. Now, here's my here's the conundrum here. Remember Rachel Dolezal. Yeah. Remember, she started getting some sympathy. Remember on The View? Oh, yeah. Even yeah. Whoopi. Well, people defending her. If she wants to be, who are we to say? Right. And, you know, we, we've we talked about the fact that why isn't there, you know, we, in fact, last week there was a story out, finally, the attack of of the, um, oh, was it, uh, was it the, the college president of a Texas university that said no drag shows? That's mm-hmm. gender appropriation. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. You're insulting women. I went, well, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Because we've said the same thing. If you can change your biology, why can't you change your race? Right. Liberals discuss. Yeah. Form the, form, Should be easy. Form the circular firing squad. Yeah. Should Liberals be easy. discuss. Come on. Should be easy. Why can't you be Native American if you wish to be? Right. You know how stupid that sounded coming out of my mouth. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's exactly where they're going. <laughs> I just went, you just said that sarcastically, but just it coming out. I'm like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> that's exactly where it's going. You should be whatever you feel you are. Right. Why? Why? If you and think about the old because that's the ult, the ultimate is changing your DNA to, you know, from a male to a female. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, because if you believe it, then in essence, it's the same as your DNA. Who is to say that somebody, if you can feel another gender, why can't you feel another nationality? Right. Why can't you feel another skin color? And why isn't that as legit as feeling you're another sex? Right. Liberals discuss. Get back to us with an answer. Call in and get a word in edgewise. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. 
And he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. So, uh, liberals, did you, uh, did you, are you discussing it? Yes. The, uh, the Hollywood producer who has been chastised for not being uh, Native American but being on the Native American boards, what's the difference? We remember Rachel Dolezal, who was uh, uh, head of a local uh, NAACP chapter, remember? Mm-hmm. And 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 yeah. she basically, you know, darkened her skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw over the weekend that uh, now it would be race appropriation if you are a white person that puts a, out a meme that a black person is on. Uh, you've got to you've got to have some consistency here on the left. Mm. Uh, what is it if you can if the left if you believe that you can change your sex just by thinking it. Why can't you change your race? By the way, this is an, I'm not being, there is some sarcasm because it's all a bunch of garbage. Thank you. Uh, But they think this way. I'm just looking, I want to see why they think you can change your sex, but you can't change your race. Well, when a man is highlighted and celebrated on International Women's Day, which is to celebrate the accomplishments of women all over the world, then why wouldn't you support somebody who says and feels, just feels like they're Native American, being on the board at the MPAA for, for Native Americans? I, why, would, why would you be against that? It's a serious question. Because if you say, well, they can't be because they haven't lived that life. <laughs> oh? <laughs> really? Right. right. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I spend my idle time trying to figure out how liberals justify it. And then I finally come to the conclusion, because I ask those same questions you do. I come to the conclusion, they don't even think as deeply as we do about it. It's just, no, we accept this at the moment. Don't bother us with the other thing. We're well, not we're not there yet. Remember when the whole Caitlin thing happened? Feminists, or as the left calls them now, Nazis, came out and said <laughs> came out and said <laughs> that's even I, it took me a tenth of a second. Oh, that's right. I'm where's she yeah. going? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, yeah. They came out and said, Well, sorry, Caitlin, but you haven't lived your life as a woman. You haven't gone through the trials of, and tribulations of being a woman for your whole life. You don't know actually what it is to be a woman. Well, that was the beginning of the end for the feminists, and now it's all over. But if the left is applying one standard here but says, no, that's not possible over here, I have to question that. Why not? Because we say so isn't an answer. Right. There has to be some form of consistency to your unique morality. Right. <laughs> exactly. Why is it not okay? We know why it's not okay, <laughs> but you have to tell us from your perspective why it's not okay. I'm glad to see that women are fighting back, though. Women athletes now, it's seen a bunch of different articles over the weekend 
swimmer Riley Gaines slams ESPN for uh, Leah Thomas uh, being on a Women's History Month segment. Mm Mm-hmm. Riley Gaines, uh, a 12-time All-American swimmer who competed at Kentucky, blasted ESPN for honoring Leah Thomas in its Celebrating Women's History Month segment. Mm. Gaines has been at the forefront of women's sports, calling for fair treatment and keeping transgender women from uh, competing, excuse me, biological males from competing against biological females at the highest level of competition. Mm Mm-hmm. Gaines tied with the former Penn State, uh, the Penn's not Penn State, Penn swimmer at the NCAA championships last year. Thomas, uh, Thomas's performances in the pool caused a national firestorm. Quote, Leah Thomas is not a brave, courageous woman who earned a national title, Gaines tweeted on Sunday. He is an arrogant cheat who stole a national title from a hardworking, deserving woman. The NCAA is uh, is responsible. If I was a woman woman working at ESPN, I would walk out. Your spineless ESPN. ESPN didn't immediately respond to Fox News Digital's request for comment. Mm-hmm. Then you go to. This is from last week. Uh, I have felt humiliated. Female cyclists starting to speak out in outrage. As more men win uh, races, the uh, sport of women's cycling seems to have been undergoing a concerted assault by transgender competitors. But biological female cyclists are finally speaking out in outrage as biological men rack up one win after another in the sport. Recently, uh, 35-time champion Hannah Arnenson announced that she is quitting her sport after watching as one male-born cyclist wins 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 one woman's title after another, she revealed her retirement in a court filing in support of West Virginia's Save Women's Sports Law, which bars transgender athletes from choosing their own gender category in the state schools. Mm. Now another female competitive cycler is speaking out and, it, uh, and took to Fox News to decry how discouraging... And disheartening it is that so many biological men are beating women in her sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you had this story that came out. Trans activists shouted, uh, 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 shouted uh, down women's rights speaker in New Zealand, douse her with tomato juice. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have tennis great Martina Navratilova praises world athletics trans ban as a step in the right direction. And that's for track and field, I guess. Right. Yeah. So they have uh, they have banned it. And you think about it. I mean, now you see almost every day because the National Hockey League is having uh, Pride Night consistently. Yeah. yeah. And what people are forgetting is when you talk about the LTBGQ right now, the biggest story when you talk about that is the transgender, the liberal transgender activist movement with which the liberal LTBGQ has picked has picked up when you see all these teams promoting it they're also promoting the misogyny and the femophobia of the liberal transgender activist movement against biological women and it's time that the nhl or anybody else who has one of these pride nights call them out 
on their hatred towards women and ask the National Hockey League, because they've been in the news, there's been some players that won't do it, yep. then the whole uh, story that uh, really came to a forefront at the end of last week, uh, some of the teams don't want to do it because of, or some of the Russian players, because they can be punished for that. Right. They're making it yeah. sound like it's all one side. What they forget about is the LTBGQ and the NHL in the, in the transgender stuff. We, we know this because we've talked about it. The NHL has promoted the hatred of biological women by supporting the current Pride Night and what it stands for in the NHL. It's pure misogyny. It's pure femophobia. In lay terms, mm -hmm. it's hatred towards biological women. It's denying biological women their opportunity. And it's allow it is so misogynist because it's allowing men to define what a woman is. And the National Hockey League and any other of these sports groups or any industry that supports any type of pride celebration understand they are in support of the liberal transgender activist movement. That opportunity for achievement for women in sports is dying by the second. Yep. You don't get that first place trophy. A man gets that. You don't get that world record. A man now owns it. Wow. You've lost and, your ever-loving mind. And as we've said before, because this isn't the first time we've made this argument, tell us where we're wrong. You can't. No. It's horrible. And for the women's, the, the feminists to crumble under this, to live under the delusion that a biological male can be a biological female because they say so is so anti-science. But on top of that, when they talk about biological men competing against biological women, the misogyny, the intimidation, the harassment of women that exist in this and the National Hockey League right now is supporting that because the liberal transgender activist movement is a part of it. As we know, the NHL has supported the transgender causes, the liberal transgender activist movement causes. And they, don't you dare speak out about it, ladies. Don't you stand for what you believe is your achievement because they'll come after you. How are they not called out every single day? These How are they the, not called out yeah. every single day for the treatment of women? And what they're promoting. And that's the dirty little secret of the National Hockey League that nobody wants to talk about. And if you're a female that, athlete and you're outspoken about it, we'll come after you. Right. And the National Hockey League is all back, backing the liberal transgender activist movement. Yeah. That is pure misogyny. Yeah. And they just tend, okay, as, no, as long as nobody brings it up, shh. Right. We'll, be ten, we'll pretend that this is about being inclusive while we basically deny and support denying all women their opportunity and allow men in sports to define the definition of a woman. Yep. The National Hockey League should be ashamed of itself. 
And they should lose your support. They should for doing this. It is so anti-women what the National Hockey League and any other organization that is celebrating Pride Night that now fully embraces the liberal transgender activist movement. You can get in the discussion about pride. We've done that before, about the whole concept of pride and celebrating sexuality, but that's a different argument. Yep. This is the fact that they have now embraced women hatred and and the belief that men should define what a woman is. Now, I can guarantee they'll deny it, mm. but that's what they're supporting. It's a war on women. Yeah. It really it's is. It's a war on women. They're, they'll deny it with their pride. Well, that's not what we're doing. Well, well tell me what you're doing. Yeah, you've of course embra- you, are. you You've embraced If you embrace the If trans- any of those female athletes come out and take exception with this, they're going to be called out and harassed. Right. Stand down. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. All right, good. Well, I mean, it gets me uh, excited when I see finally women coming out, women athletes, and fighting back against the liberal transgender activist movement because that really has been the biggest surprise that it took women so long. We've been on this now. We've been on this be- probably before anybody. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. over a decade, we've, yeah. been, we've been saying what was going to happen. And we made the prediction that feminism would die because of this, and feminism died because of this. Yeah. We said it's the only way that it could go. And we're amazed the way that women did not rise up against this attack on them. You know, for the last really couple of decades it started, but really about 10 years ago is when you really saw that the liberal transgender activist movement got blunt and started with their intimidation tactics. Right. And it's time not to be on the defensive, which most of America still is. They're afraid to confront it. You attack. These people are women haters. Yep. They're killing opportunity for women. They're misogynists. And they're stealing every bit of that opportunity opportunity from them and leaving them with, with nothing. Your choices are to sit down and shut up or to stand up and fight for it. And it's unbelievable that we're having to revisit this all over again but that's what the left wants they don't care about women's rights it's clear and by the way they're doubling down on it so now is the time to be now is the prime time to be on the attack you don't ever need to be on the defensive against a liberal transgender activist movement no nope no it is it's very easy to defeat their argument yep very easy This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. 
It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. I'm Gary McNamara. He's Eric Harley. Welcome and good morning. Download our Red Eye Radio app today. If you can't listen live overnight, you can listen when and where you want. You know, you and I had talked about the, the fact that was it Citizens First Bank? Is that what the name First is? Citizen Bank. First Citizen yep. Bank has, mm-hmm. has bought, uh, I almost said the San Francisco Fed. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Uh, but uh, so wait like, for it. <laughs> <laughs> Silicon. Uh, no, Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> Silicon. <laughs> Putting a con back in silicon. <laughs> um, the <laughs> who was it who said that last week? Was that what the silicone? Oh, uh, was it? Oh, the congresswoman from California. I can't think of oh, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Silicone, Maxine Waters. Yes, okay, was, yeah. <laughs> was it Waters? Yes, it was. Oh, it yes, was. yeah, okay. it was. yeah. It was because it was a long week between what she said oh, and what Janet Yellen said and then said differently the next day and then changed it back and said something different on Thursday. Oh, my gosh. And then everybody's wondering, oh, we don't know what's going. We don't we don't know what the problem is with the banks. Yeah. N- neither does the Treasury secretary. Well, I remember last week on uh, on uh, Bill Maher's show that he was trying to make because he's trying to play the middle that there's the delusion on the right and there's a delusion on the left yeah and so the delusion on the right and and the delusion on the left you know where he's been going lately on that right right from the yeah. liberal transgender activist movement to to so many different things out there mm-hmm. but uh he was he was saying that the uh the uh the delusion uh and i'm not sure i think maybe he was talking about the right or the delusion on the left was going after Trump with, you know, Bragg going after Trump. Uh, yeah. But he was saying the delusion on the right was that wokeness had anything to do with the bank failures. That was the insanity on the right. And, mm. and Wall Street Journal, a climate for failed bank regulation. Did the San Francisco Fed put political causes above financial risks? Let me read a couple of paragraphs to you because it's really interesting stuff. All right. Congress will be holding hearings this week on the role of regulators in recent bank failures, and let's hope they're instructive. One question that deserves probing is whether misplaced priorities at the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank caused it to overlook financial risks hiding in plain sight. The Fed's mandates include promoting price stability and full employment on monetary policy, and a safe and sound banking system as a regulator. The San Francisco Fed is responsible for regulating banks in uh, Western United States, and one of those was Silicon Valley Bank that failed two weeks ago. The problems at mid-sized banks appear to be most acute in the San Francisco Fed district. See a failed Silvergate Bank, uh, First Republic, Pac West Bancorp, which have scrambled to raise cash. What did the Fed examiners miss and why? Judging from her public presentations, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly 
has been focused more on the progressive priorities of climate change and equity. As we have said, uh, what is wokeness? Wokeness is telling lies to create victims. In June of 2021, she touted the regional Fed's work cataloging climate risks, including formal surveys, listening sessions, and targeted meetings with CEOs to better understand how climate risk affects decision-making and resiliency planning. She added, consistent with our history, we have assembled a team to study how these issues are likely to impact the Federal Reserve's mandates in the future. Climate change, including the frequency and magnitude of severe weather events, uh, affects each of our three core roles. The bank's website says, this is the uh, the, uh, the bank, um, Silicon Valley Bank. Mm. Climate change, including the frequency and magnitude of severe weather events, affects each of our three core roles. The bank's website says, for instance, climate change may challenge the resiliency of banks and low- and moderate-income communities and communities of color. What about the resiliency of banks to – this is – I'm writing it. What about the resiliency of banks to run on deposits or rising interest rates? Yeah. As San Francisco Fed memo last October noted uh, that its supervision plus credit group has been working with the Federal Reserve Board vice chair uh, for supervision, Michael Barr, to inform his agenda and priorities – namely financial risks to banks from climate change, cryptocurrency, financial fairness, and the Community Reinvestment Act. None of these contributed to SVB's failures. SVB was required under the Dodd-Frank Act to conduct quarterly stress tests to ensure it could withstand financial shocks and other adverse events. It's not clear if the bank evaluated a scenario in which rapidly rising interest rates led to an outflow of deposits and losses on sales of fixed income assets, but it should have. The San Francisco Fed's job is to ensure that banks model economic and financial scenarios that could materially impact its balance sheets. New reports say examiners flag problems at SVB as early as 2019 in its risk controls and uncovered more last summer, but why didn't they take corrective action? For instance, by limiting the bank's ability to grow. Perhaps because SVB was fulfilling the San Francisco Fed's social and climate agenda. SVB noted in its 2022 annual investor report that it received its first outstanding rating from examiners, on its Community Reinvestment Act plans, which included billions of dollars for low-income housing and initiatives to promote a green economy and green communities that build wealth in communities of color. These investments didn't cause SVB to fail. But it's fair to ask if they caused examiners to be more permissive of its balance sheet risks. Recall how regulators before the 2008 housing meltdown overlooked the underwriting lapses at subprime lenders and Fannie Mae because they promoted affordable housing. So there you go. Uh, Part of the blame may also lie with the Biden Financial Stability Oversight Council, 
which is supposed to monitor systemic financial risks. In October of 2021, the SOC identified climate change as an emerging threat to financial stability and a key priority, yet it didn't mention the risk uh, from imminent monetary tightening on bank deposit flows and asset uh, values. So that's the entire point there when Bill Maher came out and said, that shows you the insanity that they're talking about, the woke policies of the environment. Well, look at it here. Yeah. Look what they were focusing on. Right. Well, that's been the question from the beginning. If if the culture at the bank was this and there were red flags, how did the San Francisco Fed not see it? How did they not go through uh, an audit process? How did they not even make a call saying, yeah, we're seeing a lot of red flags here? And one of the questions would be, because you're getting the deposits we like? Yeah, right. Because you're supporting causes? Venture capitalist green causes? How's that working out for you? Well, you know, they talked about, you know, 2008. Well, it was for affordable housing, so we're going to overlook the financial. Oh, it's a noble cause. The fina- if it's oh, a, noble, it's a cause, noble cause. And that's the entire point. We've seen it happen already. Yep. No, you always build it based on this noble cause. We can save the planet if you'll just let us tax you to death and regulate you to death. Listen, if you don't want to save the planet and you want the planet to end, okay, fine. But if you want to save the planet like, I don't know, smart people, gaslighting, then, oh, it can't be gas lighting. It's electric lighting now. Yes, yes. No more gas. Must be electric lighting. Yes. Then, and it's solar-powered electric lighting, not gas lighting. <laughs> Get it straight, hard. Windmill lighting. That's right. Then, you know, I mean, it, the smart people are wanting to save the planet. So we just thought you were smart. Maybe we were wrong. <laughs> This is the the entire approach. Make it sound like a noble cause. We want people to have homes and uh, and live the American dream. Well, you said have. You have to earn it. You have to pay for it. Um, We want to, as a banking institution, we want to support these companies. Are they credit worthy? Where's your investment? What is your investment based on? It sounds cool. It sounds awesome. Well, I mean the entire the entire bank uh, banking crisis, mortgage crisis, was built on the fact that everybody should be able to have a home. That's right, as you just stated, and that, we'll, that was the basis yep, of it. Yep, that everybody should be well. Everybody shouldn't be able to own a home, right? If they have the the credit, if they have a history, if they qualify for a bank, then they can work it out right. with the bank as to whether any lender is willing to take that risk. Well, look, then great. Look, it was easy. The whole damn thing collapsed because we said everybody should be able to own a home, take those bad loans, and have the American taxpayer back it up. If you want to say it in less than 10 seconds... 
that's what it was mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And it would have never happened if the government hadn't got in nope. and manipulated the mortgage market. Nope. And now we've got the government over a period of 10 years manipulating monetary policy, manipulating interest rates in order to allow the government to uh, borrow trillions upon trillions of dollars and pay little interest on it. And then the Fed say, well, hey, <laughs> let's uh, let's keep the interest rate really, really low and also... We'll print money to buy our own debt. Yeah. And in the meantime, okay, let's look at uh, forming banks that uh, want to do good. And that's why, Eric, that's why, you know, they, they focus on the San Francisco Fed and some of these medium-sized banks. And that's why, and I had started all of this last week with a buddy of mine, one of my, you know, uh, longest best friends who works for a regional medium-sized bank, they're furious at what's going on because Mm -hmm. they're going to be punished by the government for things that the government caused. Yep. And they're like, we're legit. We don't have, and you've seen more of these stories coming out, we don't have, you know, a great percentage of our investors with uninsured, you know, with uninsured amounts. Well, they're, they're... (laughs) <laughs> that's bypassed now because they're all insured now. But that was their point. We're not at risk. Right. And you're punishing us. We've been playing by the rules. Right. We've been working harder to earn the business. We've been doing everything you're supposed to do. Which And it's still tougher to compete on that level as a smaller institution. Always has been. And it is made tougher after the 2008-2009 when the implicit guarantee went out for all major banks. You're right. too big to fail. Right. Which means you can take more risk and you can, you know, you can lend more risky loans out that the medium and smaller banks can't do, which is why you saw so many mergers after that over the next few years. Mm-hmm. But these the banks that are doing it right are finding their niche, fighting for their lives, and the government comes in and says, "Okay, that's you know, medium-sized banks. We need to uh, we need to regulate you more." But hey, we might. We're not really sure. We might guarantee all of your deposits too, even if they're over two hundred fifty thousand. But we don't know because Treasury Secretary uh, Yellen has changed her mind three times in one week. Yeah, yeah, we actually don't know. God, just uh, infuriating. Banking stocks going. Up and down. It's a roller coaster ride because she's completely incompetent. Not qualified to be where she is. By the way, the smartest financial minds in the world got us to this place. Yes. Inflation, everything you feel today, mm-hmm. these were promoted as the smartest financial minds in the world. Don't worry, everything's Don't worry. fine. 86690 Red Eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. To determine a driver's compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA score, safety event data is recorded and compared against that of other drivers. Drivers are given a CSA score, but unlike motor carrier scores, driver scores are only visible to enforcement officers during an audit. 
However, drivers' most recent five years of crash data and three years of roadside inspection data is made available to potential employers via the pre-employment screening program. So it's a good idea for drivers to review their online PSP record from time to time. A request for data review can be submitted via data cues to have errors corrected or to have a non-preventable crash designation indicated for a crash. In the event a current or previous carrier is audited, records on drivers with high CSA scores will be targeted first. But individual drivers are not subject to CSA interventions like motor carriers. This tip was brought to you by JJ Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Hardy, and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, after we talk uh, bank stuff, I, I get exhausted. <laughs> well, it is exhausting, uh, but you look at it, and and you you learn very quickly that they really don't have a clue. They really have no clue as to what is going on, and when when you have no self-awareness, there is no because there's no way to reverse the spending that was done during COVID, and this is just the situation where we are now. I mean, you and I have been talking about the housing crisis from 2008, but my gosh, just trying to deal with what's on the plate at the moment is extremely frightening when you think about it. There's no way to reverse the fundamental causes of the inflation without tanking the economy and the fed seems afraid and so that means they're not going to get serious about inflation which means now we're going to get to stagflation and and really there is no doubt by the end of this summer that's when they believe any savings that anybody has is going to be depleted i think jamie diamond was one of those saying that at the end of last year. But they're actually seeing that. And the banks can see that. And then they see the other side of it, and that's the credit card side of their business, and they see balances growing. They see now uh, uh, the point of auto loans and delinquencies being at extreme levels beyond 60 days, uh, people getting their, you know, their, their cars taken because... They're not keeping up with the payments. And then higher interest rates means you're going to have a housing slowdown. So you slow it down just enough to not get on top of inflation, but also to cause a recession. Stagflation. And they have no clue as to what's going on with the bank, seemingly.
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley taking your calls. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. And he's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. I'm getting this from uh, National Review and uh, Beckett Adams, who wrote this over the weekend. I didn't know. I, I must have missed it. Probably I saw the headline, but just ignored it because I've seen it so many times. Hmm. But he points out that on March 20th, the New York Times greeted readers with another startling announcement. Yeah. Breaking news. Hmm. The Earth is likely to cross a critical global warming threshold within the next decade unless drastic changes are made. Oh. It is still possible, though, the New York Times continued, Hmm. citing a major new United Nations report. To hold global warming to relatively safe levels, but doing so will require global cooperation, billions of dollars, and big changes. Oh, oh, yeah. But only if you're smart enough to care about the planet. The underlying study prepared by the United Nations concludes that the Earth is doomed. Uh Uh-huh. Unless the international community agrees immediately to a multi-pronged strategy to combat climate change. The strategy recommends that, among other things, developed nations self-deindustrialize. That's right. So underdeveloped nations will starve to death. So in case people don't know what that means, it means get rid of your manufacturing. That's right. Lower your GDP drastically. Right. The strategy also calls for the transfer of billions upon billions of dollars from developed nations to the governments of developing states as part of a just transition to renewable energy. Now, we don't know where these these developed countries are going to get their money. What money? Yeah. When they deindustrialize right. their, their nation. Climate justice is... I love it, climate justice. Mm-hmm. Climate justice is crucial because... Those who have contributed least to climate change are being the most affected, said a uh, the study's co-author. Mm-hmm. And what what do you think will happen to those same individuals, same countries, when you de-industrialize developed nations? They become third world. Yes, immediately. <laughs> we are closer to the brink. We are this close to a climate catastrophe. Uh-huh. Humanity is on thin ice. The climate time bomb is ticking, and we don't have a moment to lose, said the U.N. Secretary General. Uh. Earth will reach the point of no return by the 2030s unless we act now to reverse course. At CNN, the chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir, served as an unofficial spokesperson for the IPCC. Mm Mm-hmm. Saying, quote, there's no such thing as climate alarmism anymore. The time bomb is ticking. That's not alarmist at all. It's not alarm it's not alarmism anymore because the time bomb is ticking. Uh-huh. But we have the guide on how to defuse the bomb right in our hands. That's right. And then they write here in National Review, if you're experiencing deja vu reading these dire predictions and warnings, that's because you have, in fact, been here before uh-huh. many times. That's right. Climate scientists and alarmists have prophesied the planet's imminent demise nearly every year now, dating back 
to at least the end of World War II. We don't have 12 years to save the climate. We have 14 months, said the now defunct Think Progress <laughs> publication predicted 43 months ago. Uh huh. <laughs> the former French Prime Minister, Laurent, uh, Laurent Fabius, warned 3,200 days ago that the international community had only 500 days to avoid climate chaos. Oh. Earlier in 2009, Gordon Brown. The U.K.'s prime minister at the time said, we have fewer than 50 days to save our planet from catastrophe. Wow, 50 days. Wow, he went big on his. In 2009, former Vice President Al Gore declared that there is a 75% chance that the entire northern polar ice cap during some of the summer months could be completely ice-free within the next five to seven years. Hmm. That's what was the two thirds. 2013 thing that we always talk mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. in 2013 uh mid melt <laughs> the guardian ran the following headline u.s navy predicts summer is ice free mm -hmm. uh, we'll have a nice free arctic uh by 2016 mm -hmm. the ice is still there yeah nasa scientists were toast read the headlines to an associated press report in 2008 in 2007, the IPCC predicted the Himalayan glaciers would disappear by 2035. The UN's chief climate science body retracted that claim in 2010, explained the prediction wasn't based on any peer-reviewed data, but on a media interview with the scientist conducted in 1999. Oh, okay. All right. In 2006, Gore claimed that unless world leaders took drastic measures to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the Earth would surpass the point of no return in 10 years. A true planetary emergency, he called it. Hmm. The year 2016 came and went, and now we're being told by the early 2030s that was the real point of oh. no return. Okay. The Guardian, citing a secret report, warned in 2004 that major European cities will be sunk beneath rising seas as Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. Hmm. The year 2022 was the UK's warmest since they started keeping records. The heat was, of course, blamed on climate change. Oh. So they don't have a Siberian climate. Oh. UN predicts disaster of global warming is not checked. The AP reported in 1989. The report's opening line, senior UN environmental official says, entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels if the global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000. Mm -hmm. In 1974, however, Time Magazine published a feature story titled Another Ice Age? It was one of several reports and articles warning, not about global warming, but about global cooling. Mm -hmm. A Reuters Wire story, 1974, that a new ice age could grip the world within the lifetime of the present generation. The Guardian, in 1974, space satellites show new ice age coming fast. Washington Post, 1971. U.S. scientist sees new ice age coming. But that was before it was uh, warming. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Expert says 
Arctic Ocean will soon be an open sea. Catastrophic shifts in climate feared if change occurs. Other specialists see no thinning of the polar ice cap. New York Times reported in 1969. In 1947, the New York Times reported warming Arctic climate melting glaciers faster, raising ocean level. So there you go. None of those things happen. And those are only a sample of the thousands upon thousands Mm -hmm. of doomsday predictions since the end of World War II. Yeah. None have come true. And we ask this, I mean, it's this is where people live in the bubble of today. They don't remember what happened. They simply jump on and virtue signal, you know, because I'm part of today's virtue signaling. I live in the bubble of today. I'll virtue signal today. They don't ever ask the question. When you're wrong on all your doomsday predictions all the time, how much credibility should we put in your next doomsday prediction? Well, and that's it. And what they count on is people living in that bubble of today, but especially young people who do live in the bubble of today because they weren't here yesterday, and they go through it and say, oh, okay. Well, then you get Greta and all of her friends in in fear mode to the point that some of them don't believe they should be sitting in a classroom. Why are we in a classroom? The world's not going to be here. And this is over and over again, the fear-mongering. But we can fix it with a lot of money. And we have to send that money to other countries. Politically, get that done. But we're, we're debating the issue with Ukraine right now. Imagine the, the amount of money if, if you ask the left, okay, we believe you. How much money to the undeveloped countries do we need to send? Yeah. Because it's not just, you don't just, it's not like adopt a country. You just pick one and send, you know, $20 billion. It's going to have to be all of them. And you got to be all in. Because this needs to be done immediately according to the U.N. That's right. Not not over a period of time. The world is ending Th- now. This is like the movie Deep Impact. That's right. Tomorrow, it's going to all fall apart. Yeah. I'm trying to think what was the other one where they had, uh, oh, The Core. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You ever see the movie The Core? Mm-hmm. The day after tomorrow, all of them, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the Core was when the, they had to get the Core moving and they found this scientist who had created this thing. This uh, could basically just laser right through rock Mm -hmm. to get to the core set atomic uh bombs inside the core to get it moving again and save the planet yeah and they needed like sure it would work trillions of yeah and and uh yeah in 2012 the same thing remember they had Mm -hmm. to build those arcs and everything else Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. (laughs) but how much how much would have to be spent immediately it would have to be what $100 $100 trillion? Oh, easy. The Green New Deal was $100 trillion. Wow. And that was just one nation. Wow. Under God. Indivisible. I mean, Sorry, I just have to finish so, it. So it'd be, it. it'd be the other thing that comes after trillion? Mm. Yeah, whatever that is. A Google. <laughs> is it a Google? <laughs> we have to spend a Google. <laughs> Ask Elon Musk to tell us how much is in his bank account. <laughs> 
Oh, no, it's a Twitter. It's not a Google, it's a Twitter. <laughs> of course, it's a quadrillion. Yeah, okay. So we'd have a to- thousand, which is a thousand trillion. Is that right? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So we'd have to. So now this would bring us into the first time talking about quadrillion. Yeah. Instead of trillion. The problem is the quadrillionaires don't believe this is happening. <laughs> Who will be the first quadrillionaire? Yeah. No, but seriously, if the Green New Deal was going to be a hundred trillion, no, then this is because I think have I, th- to be I think at the, least I think it would be, and that's just one country. That's just the United States. What would it cost to to do everything we needed to do? A hundred quadrillion. As we as we deindustrialize, these people are absolutely insane. I mean, they're just insane. And seriously, the United States, we should just pull out. You come up with something. If you're not going to be serious, just pull out. Yeah, well, in my opinion, it's it's never been worthwhile to listen to their dribble. No. Ever. And these aren't serious people. No. You know why? (laughs) We're the U.N. If we say we need to redistribute all the income... Mm-hmm. That makes us, we're going to get a lot of that cash flow. Yeah, and we? all these major nations, all the developed nations who fund the U.N. look at it and go, I'm sorry, did you just ask us to walk out? Because we can do that, and we'll take our checkbooks with yeah. us. We need to deindustrialize and come up with a quadrillion dollars mm-hmm. immediately in order to fight climate change and fund all third world nations. Right. To build solar and wind in third world. Ah, oh, these people are just insane. And to... God, uh, they're just insane. This is just... It's... Yeah. And we need to bail out the banks. We too, don't even so. talk... You know, that's the one thing. We don't talk serious issues anymore when you deal with the left because it's so bizarre. No, the, the, it's it's like I mean, dealing it's, with it's, children it, all over again. This isn't even a serious discussion. No. No, it isn't. You're dealing basically with, let's argue with children. Right. That's what it's become. Mm-hmm. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Do we have any, has there been any notice that the uh, grand jury, Bragg's grand jury, is going to meet today? And has there been any notice that there would be a witness? Normally there is. I just wondered. I didn't hear anything yet. I haven't seen anything, but but, uh, they would normally be scheduled on a Monday. But don't know. I guess we'll find out. In just a few hours.
is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.